Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to be with you. Hello to all of you at the Hive, uh, Converge, South Campus, West Campus. It's been so good to be at those particular campuses to be able to preach live there the past, uh, in the past few weeks. That was wonderful because we are one church in multiple locations. Uh, what I realized, and I think uh, you might have caught wind of, was uh, those folks that are used to seeing it on a video, as I'm trying to talk to them, they're, they're like, should I talk back? I mean, I love that you talk back. Please uh, go ahead and respond no matter what campus you're, you're at and worshiping with us because this is meant to be a conversation where we study God's word together. But before we jump into his word, would you pull out your sermon notes? Because I just want to highlight one thing. You'll definitely need the sermon notes today for the sermon. But I want to highlight something on the back of it. There's a QR code that will take you to a website that will show you all the lists of names of our potential elders and deacons. These were all men who are unanimously recommended by the elder board. Uh, This list, if you look it over, it gives you instructions. For those of you who are constitutional members at Christ Chapel, Uh, that vote, you'll be sent a ballot at the end of this month, and those men will be affirmed at the annual meeting, which is August 28th at 1 o'clock in the sanctuary at the Fort Worth campus. So that'll give you all the instructions, but that QR code will take you there, and just want to alert you to that. Okay, uh, this is, uh, summer is coming to a close, although the weather is not, but the season, in a sense, is as school starts back up. Somebody asked our boys uh, yesterday when they start back school and they had no clue. And I was like, boys, that is this week uh, school starts back for you. But hopefully you were able to do something uh, fun this summer. We got to do some fun things with the boys, praise God. Uh, but one of those things, we were on a, a little group tour in these one of these things. And I realized that uh, the people that come on these group tours uh, are always similar in personality. Meaning you're always going to find the same kind of people on these group tours. If you've took one, you'll understand what I mean. For instance, there's always a person there who thinks that the group tour is a private tour, who always like dominates the questions that are asked of the tour guide. And you're like, you do realize there are other people here and they just carry on that conversation. Or there's always a person on those group tours that think that they need to show the tour guide that they should be leading the tour. You know, they ask the questions that they answer themselves. You know, they're like, hey, can you tell me about this? Because I know that X, Y, and Z. And they're like trying to show them up like, hey, I could take your job. And you're like, dude, just chill out. You're on vacation here, okay? You probably have a job to go back to. But then, hopefully, if you're on a good tour, there's usually a person there who asks a good question. And you're like, I'm so glad they asked that because I wanted to ask that question, but I was too afraid to ask. Or maybe that's just me. And you're so glad that that person was there and asked that question. Well, today, we are going to follow this kind of group tour that Jesus is leading through the Gospel of Matthew as we continue our series. And on this group tour, there seems to be a person there that could be identified at first as somebody who's asking way too many questions. As somebody who is dominating the questions of this group tour and making it a private tour. But then as you read further in, you go, well, maybe this guy is trying to show Jesus up and show him how much he knows about the spiritual life. But by the end of it, I think you'll realize that he's asking a question that all of us would want to ask Jesus personally. Because if there's two things that I know about most people, it's this. First, Everybody that that I know and talk to wants to go to heaven. 
especially when they consider the alternative. Second thing I know about people is that they don't only want to go, they want to know that they're going. They want to know that they know that they know that that's where they're headed. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, we're gonna be in verses 16 to 30. You do need a copy of the scriptures open because not one verse is gonna come up today because we're gonna be moving that fast. That, therefore, if you do not, if you got away from the house without a Bible, there should be one underneath your seat, no matter what venue you're in. It's a blue Bible. If you're opening the blue Bible, it's page 824, 824. Uh, those blue Bibles will always be under your seat. So we're continuing our series Inside Out. And the, what I want you to see today in this Inside Out theme is this uh, This internal assurance, assurance of our salvation. When I talk about assurance, let me define it for you. What I mean is this emotional certainty, this emotional and, and mental certainty that we do have eternal life in Christ that is not gained by external behaviors. You, you, you just can't do it. And oftentimes that's what we rely on or what we lean on. But what you're going to see today is oftentimes those solutions that we lean on for self-assurance only creates more uncertainty in our lives and in our salvation. And so what we need to do is we need biblical assurance, not self-assurance assurance of our salvation. And that's what I want you to see today because we're gonna pick up this conversation between uh, this young man and Jesus. And throughout this pericope, verses 16 to 30, there are five questions that Jesus is asked and he gives five answers. And so we're gonna walk through the five questions, five answers, and then I wanna give you five things you can be assured of. So hopefully you walk away from this conversation differently differently than this young man did because he walked away sad and I want you to walk away glad. So let's pick up in verse 16. It says, and behold, a man came up to him, that is Jesus, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So stop right there. Let's get some context as to who this young man is. If you take the different uh, gospel accounts and you put them all together, we know, and some of you may even know this person as the rich young ruler, and that's because all of those uh, accounts together give us those clues as to who this person is. When the Bible calls him young, that probably would have put him between the ages of 24 and 40. So that's kind of the age that he is. Uh, he is rich. We, we know that from another account that he gives. And he's a ruler. Now, how is he a ruler? He may have been a ruler in the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders of that day. That, that's what makes him a ruler. He's not like a king over a distant land. So he's a local. He's, he's a Jewish man who's young, who is rich. I mean, if ABC was running The Bachelor back then, this guy would be The Bachelor, the most eligible bachelor of the day. And the questions he's asking would not be these questions. He'd be asking, will you accept this rose? You know, so, but this guy is super eligible. And here's the first question that he asked, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? Now, when we say eternal life, I will define what he is asking for you. 
He is asking, how can I know that I have a life approved by God that guarantees me access into his kingdom? What he is searching for is this evidence. What good deed must I do so that therefore I can be assured, I can have the evidence, the emotional certainty that I will enter the kingdom of God? He's obviously heard a lot of Jesus's teaching that day, and he says, what must I do? What good deed? Do I need to give money? Do I need to attend this? Do I need, what, what checkbox do I have to make sure I check in order to inherit eternal life? He's looking at it very transactionally. I do this, therefore I get this in return. What essentially he's looking for in our common day vernacular is a confirmation code. And we, we all like confirmation codes. If you buy something on Amazon, you love it when you see that thing spinning, but then it says your order is what? Confirmed. It's confirmed. I know now that that went through, that transaction went through. I know that they received the message that I want that package that's essentially what he wants. He wants the, the information, the confirmation code, the thing that the email back that says, okay, you are guaranteed to receive eternal life. But look at what it says in verse 17. And Jesus said to him, well, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, then keep the commandments. Now, there's something going on there with the word good. Because what he started off calling him was teacher. And one of the reasons why I think he may have been a part of the Sanhedrin or religious leaders is because the way he's addressing him is addressing him as a peer. But as he's asking him this question that puts Jesus in this place of authority of what good deed must I do? And what Jesus is responding is there's only one who is good and that one who is good is assumed is God. Only God is good. And so what he's saying is you're basically asking me, young man, that I am God, that I know God's mind. I think this is validating Jesus's identity, but it's also, in a sense, incriminating this young man in this line of questioning right here at the beginning. So he's saying, hey, why do you ask me what's good? You need to just keep the commandments then, because that is, and who holds the commandments, is God. He is the one who holds eternal life. See, be assured God is the only one who holds the key to eternal life. This young man's intuition is correct to go to Jesus to ask about eternal life. But what Jesus is not saying here is that if you keep all the commands and check all the boxes, then you'll inherit eternal life. He wasn't pointing out the commandments to show this young man how to be saved he was pointing out these commandments to show him that he needed help to be saved because none of us can keep all those commandments. But his intuition is right. He's come to the right place. Jesus is the right person to ask because he is good, because Jesus is God, which leads to the second very logical question that the young man asks. He says, which commandments must I keep to have eternal life? If Jesus says, keep the commandments to have eternal life, well then, which ones? That's a fair follow-up question. But if this young man was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the religious leaders of the day, let me ask you, would he know the commandments? 
absolutely he would know the commandments. He would know all of them. And so when he gets this response back of just keep the commandments, well, hold on, Jesus. That's what I've been doing my entire life. What, which commandments? It's almost like he's asking, like, have I missed one? Because I've been keeping all of these commandments and I don't feel assured that I have eternal life. So Jesus answers back to this young man and basically says, well, just treat other people well. Just treat other people well. Follow me on this line of questioning. Because I know because some of your, your biblical alarm bells are going off. I get it. But follow me here with this young man. Jesus says, just treat other people well. Look at what he says in verses 18 and 19. Jesus said to him, which ones? Jesus said, well, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we talk about the commandments, uh, what oftentimes the commandments refer to here are the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people back in Exodus chapter 20 when they come out of slavery in Israel. Now, the commandments that Jesus lists here are commandments five through nine. That, those, are, those are the commands that he lists, which are basically treat other people well. And you say, why is Jesus bringing up these commands? I think because he's playing to that young man's sense of security. That he thinks he's done all of these things well. He thinks he's treated everybody really well, but eventually that's going to be exposed if you just hold on to this line of questioning. You see, be assured, you're required to keep more than the commandments that people can see. You're required to keep more of the commandments that people can see. You see, I think this young man definitely would have been seen as somebody who had kept these commandments. He wouldn't have been a part of the Sanhedrin, part of the religious leaders, had he stolen, had he killed people. Had he murdered? Had he committed adultery? Had he lied? Had he not, had he not done these things, he would, he would have been disqualified from being a part of that group. And so Jesus is like, well, hey, if you think it's all about keeping the commands and treating other people well, then you should feel assured. Like, you've checked, you've checked these boxes, right? And in fact, he affirms that he has. And oftentimes, this is how we look for our own assurances. We say, well, we treat other people well. I, I, Cody, I haven't done these things, and I, I hope you haven't done those things. And let me ask you, how's your assurance? How's that, how's that going for you? It wasn't going well for this young man, and it doesn't usually go well for us either. That's why he says in verse 20, he says, the young man said to him, well, Jesus, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? I mean, this is, the, this is the crux of the issue. I have done everything, Jesus, that you have said there to my knowledge or best of my ability. And yet I still feel lacking. I, I have treated other people well, yet I still wonder at night, am I okay? Is, is it okay between you and me, God? 
You see, the third question that he asks is, why do I still feel lacking when I've kept these commandments? Why do I still feel lacking when I've done everything I think I can do to please God? Why do I still feel like I fall short? And let, let me tell you this, and it kind of goes back to something I said earlier. Self-assurance is different than biblical assurance. Self-assurance is different than biblical assurance. And we can sit there and tell ourselves, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> All we want. But that's different than what the Bible says to us. I can't speak enough truth to myself. I have to find truth that only comes from the word of God. That's why I hope at the end of this you find biblical assurance rather than self-assurance. Because I don't, I don't want us to be assured in ourselves. And we can't be assured in ourselves, which is what you're going to see. Because this young guy had done everything, everything that he could, and he still didn't have enough self-assurance that he had God's favor. It wasn't enough. Reminds me of a, a song. I, I'm, a, I'm a John Mayer fan. Sorry if people don't like him. But, man, he had a great album, his second album that he, that he came out with called Heavier Things. Very thoughtful album here. Sorry, I'm going on tangent real fast. But he has this song called something's missing. And he, he says, something's missing and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is. And the end of the song, he goes through and he says, money, check. Well slept, check. Friends, check. He literally in the song goes through check boxes and still comes to the conclusion, something's missing. He's the rich young ruler of our day. A young man, eligible bachelor, rich, handsome, famous, has everything and still finds that something's missing. He's got the world, but lacks the assurance of God's favor. See, the answer is, you can't just keep the commandments that everybody else can see. You must also keep the commandments that only God can see. You must also keep the commandments that only God can see. And yes, I am walking you into a trap. So uh, Jesus is doing the same thing here. So just, again, hang on. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, then go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Let me read that again. If you would be perfect... Why does he use the word perfect? I'll define it here in a second. But remember, God is perfect. To enter into God's kingdom, you have to be perfect. If you would be perfect, which means complete, whole, if you were able to completely fulfill the law, you wouldn't just hold up the commandments that everybody else can see you holding up. You would also do it in the eyes of God. Go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, why does he give them him this one specific command? First, um, Jesus knows the heart of you and me. He knows your heart and he knows what's holding you back from fully following him, from fully trusting him. And he knows this young man's heart. And that's why he points to this particular issue. He's not saying that this young man can buy his way into heaven. That's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is, I know what you're holding on to, and you're going to have to let that go to follow me. You see, if he sold everything that he had and gave it to the poor, he would then be showing two different things that relate to the commands. First, he would show that he truly did love his neighbor as himself because he would give everything he had to the poor. The second thing that he would show was he would validate the first commandment, which Jesus didn't mention here, is that we have no other gods before him. So he would validate the first commandment and the last commandment, first and tenth, by doing this one thing, to show him that, Jesus, you have my full allegiance, my undivided devotion, perfectly. Not, you don't just have my devotion so that people can see it, where I don't lie, cheat, or steal, or murder. You have my devotion even privately. You have my whole heart. That's what you have. That's why Jesus gives him this command. To, okay, if you're still lacking assurance, maybe it's because you don't fully trust me. Show me that you trust me. Take everything that you've put your security in, all the money, go sell it. Go sell all your possessions and then give it away and show me that you truly trust me with everything that you have. That's a hard command. But at the heart of the issue, that's what it's about. It's about fully depending upon him. And in verse 22, we find one of, one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. One of the reasons why I say this is one of the most sorrowful verses in scripture is because we don't see this young man again in scripture. There's no redemption story. I would love it if later on I could tell you at the end of this sermon that, guys, in the book of Acts, this guy comes back around and he's sold everything. He's fully sold out to following Jesus and he started this church in Ephesus and he's doing all these wonderful things and he's not there. He walked away sorrowful and we don't ever see him walking back because what he had done is he had gained the whole world and forfeited his own soul. Remember when we studied this back in Matthew chapter 16? The cost of following Jesus. This young man had evaluated the cost of following Jesus was too high for him. And so he walked away sorrowful. He didn't want to give up this world for the next. He didn't want to give up everything that had given him security. Everything that had given him power. Everything that had given him status in that world during that time in order to forsake it all and follow Jesus. So he walked away sorrowful. He kept the life that he had. And he lost his life in return. And that's not what Jesus wanted. I don't think Jesus wanted him to walk away sad at all. You see, be assured, to enter eternal life, you must keep all the commandments perfectly. This is where your biblical alarm bells are really going off. Again, I'm walking you into the trap because you're unable. All of us are unable to keep the commandments perfectly. This young man couldn't keep all the commandments perfectly. But the reason why he walked away sad was because, not because he was unable, but because he was unwilling. 
He was unwilling to give Jesus everything that he had to fall on his grace and to fall on his mercy and say, I can't keep all the commandments perfectly. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've kept all these commands. Because go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that we've already studied. When he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. See, he goes from the external to the internal. He goes from the things that people can see to the things that God can see see into the heart and we're unable to keep it perfectly because our heart is sinful and he was unwilling to throw himself on the mercy of God see he wanted to put himself and stand on his own merit and none of us can stand on our own merit before God that's why Jesus says in verses 23 and 24 and Jesus said to his disciples truly I say to you It's only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, automatically, we live in the, well, if most most of us uh, live in the United States, we have some of you streaming from around the world, praise God, hello. But most of us live in the United States where we are very wealthy very wealthy people. And Jesus says that it's hard for rich young people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is he saying that? It's because we rely on what our money can get us, the power, the security, the control, all of those things. And when Jesus asks us to give those things up, he's saying, put the power and the the sense of control and all those things into my hands, into God's hands, Don't take those things into your own. And when we give those things up, we're giving them away from our own hands and our own possession into his. And he said, that's why it's hard for somebody to give up that stuff is because it's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, you know the eye of a needle is very, very small. Uh, And there have been some interpretations that this is, the eye of a needle is talking about a gate. That's a medieval interpretation. I don't think it's correct. This is what Jesus is talking about, the eye of a needle. And he says, you're going to try to get a camel through the eye of a needle is like trying to get a rich person into the kingdom of God. That's what it's like. And he says, that's how hard it is for somebody to give up control to give up that power, to give up that sense of security. Now, Jesus it is not saying that there's anything wrong, per se, with having wealth. There were wealthy patriarchs back in the, in the scriptures. I mean, if you look at Abraham, look at David, look at Solomon. I mean, these people had, had wealth, but it didn't have a hold of them. This is about who has a hold of your life. You see, oftentimes when we possess those things, it possesses us. And he's saying, I want to possess you. God wants to possess you, not the money to possess you. Uh, Paul talks about this, and you can jot it down in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because he talks about the, the lure of riches and how it has Uh, the pursuit of it, the craving of it. This is where Paul says, it's not money that is the root of all evil, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. That's where he talks about this in uh, 1 Timothy 6, and you need to go back and read that, because that's what he's talking about here. 
That's why it's so hard for the young man to accept this, to forsake this world in order for the next. See, when Jesus describes how hard it is for this young man to enter the kingdom of God, the line of questioning now moves from the young man asking Jesus questions to now the disciples ask Jesus questions. And the next question that comes then is, who then can be saved? Which is kind of an interesting question to ask. Peter asks Jesus this, or the disciples ask this question, and then Peter picks him up. Why, is he, why are they asking Jesus that question? Who then can be saved? It's because, I think it's because this. In those times, in Jewish tradition, if someone was rich, they equated that with God's favor. So here's someone who ha, who's rich that they would equate with, well, God certainly must love them. He certainly must love this young man. He's got a lot of wealth and he's on the Sanhedrin. He's a religious leader. He's keeping all the commands. I mean, he has God's favor and he's doing everything right. And he's checking all the boxes. He has public approval and he can't enter the kingdom of God? Who then can be saved? If this person who, who's not doing it all right, who then? That's what the disciples ask. And the answer is, no one except with God's help. No one can be saved except with God's help. Look at verse 26. But Jesus looked at them, those are the disciples, and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for a sinner to enter into a perfect God's heaven, except with God's help. What is impossible for man is possible with God. Neither you nor I can get a camel through the eye of a needle. Neither you nor I can work our way into heaven. The only way we get there is with help. That young man was not willing to accept anybody's help. He wanted to do it all himself. I've kept all the commands. I can, I can do it. No, you can't. It's only with God's help. You see, the big aha as I was studying this is who the camel is. You know who the camel is, right? It's you. It's me. God takes a big old sinner like me and squeezes me through this hoop called perfection. How does he do it? It's only through washing us through Jesus' blood and clothing us in his righteousness that we can enter into heaven. It's by grace through faith. See, be assured, eternal life is accepted as a gift rather than earned through effort. Eternal life is accepted as a gift rather than earned through effort. This young man couldn't earn it. He couldn't buy it. He couldn't pay for it. He couldn't work his way in. Inheriting eternal life, having salvation, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. 
so that you cannot boast. This is a gift of God to you. And a gift is not earned. A gift is only accepted. That's what a true gift is. And that's the gift that Jesus offers to you. And as long as you are trying to earn or work your way into heaven, you are like the camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. And you cannot make it through. That is impossible for you to do. You will never get into heaven by yourself. But with God, he can get a big old sinner like you or a big old sinner like me into heaven through Christ, by grace, through faith, placing our trust in him in what he has done on our behalf, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead to prove that his payment was sufficient for you and for me. It's only a gift that you accept. See, the last question that he asks, that Peter asks then, is similar to what was given to that young man of, well, what if we've left everything? What if we've shown that we fully do trust you? And I just want to pick up on this because it's the last question in this pericope. But what if we've left everything to follow you? I think the question that he's asking is, is it going to be worth it? Is, is heaven going to be worth it? If we forsake everything, like you asked this young man to forsake, that we, we forfeit this world Is it actually going to be worth it? And Jesus says, absolutely. The answer is, anyone who's left anything to follow Jesus will be repaid 100-fold. And he goes through and gives some specific, a specific reward for the disciples, uh, those particular disciples. And then he gives rewards for us today, saying, and everyone, if you look at verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Be assured, everyone who has left anything to follow Christ will be rewarded beyond anything they had. You'll be rewarded beyond anything they had. Why? Because you're showing outwardly. (laughs) Your inward depends inside out. (laughs) You're not doing outward exterior behaviors, external behaviors, to try to convince yourself internally that you're you're good enough, because you'll never prove that you're good enough. That's why you've got to rest on what Jesus has done for you. We've got this kind of conclusive statement at the end. Be assured that your assurance rests on the reassurance of Christ's finished work for you. If you ever struggle with, am I really saved? You're probably resting on what you've done. And when I've wrestled with those things in my life, I, I, I have. I, I've stayed up sleepless nights wondering those same questions, asking God, God, can I just run a marathon or something? Like, tell me how many miles to run and I'll do it. Tell me how many how many. How many miles to crawl on my knees? Like, how many times do I have to beg or pray or what? Like, give me something that I need to do. And every time he goes, Cody, I already did enough. I did enough. I don't, I'm not asking you to do anymore. You see, the evidence that we need, that confirmation code 
that where we can find our assurance is that Jesus died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead for you so that you can have that confirmation, you can have that assurance that when you begin to doubt, have I done enough? Why am I still lacking? He goes, it's not about what you can do. (laughs) You are lacking and I've done enough and my payment is sufficient for you. Trust in me. Let your assurance depend on the reassurance of Christ's finished work for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that our salvation does not depend on anything that we can do. It's a gift of us placing our trust in you and in you alone. Lord, help us to always fall back on what you've done rather than always seeking to do, do, do ourselves because that'll never be enough. It'll always be insufficient. Thank you for the sufficient payment of Christ, your one and only son on our behalf. Lord God, may we be washed in the blood, clothed in your righteousness, and may we praise you for doing the impossible of fitting big old sinners like me into your perfect presence forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.